0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today is incredible, Michael Loeb co-founder and CEO of the venture collective Loeb NYC. And Loeb NYC has a number of early to mid-stage companies within its portfolio and is backed by an expert department of shared services. This Swiss army knife of services is packed with a full cabinet of everything that a startup needs to get off the ground and accelerate growth. And Michael originally founded Loeb NYC as Loeb Enterprises with his longtime business partner and my man, Rich Vogel, in 2006 after exiting their previous company, Synapse, to Time Inc. for an estimated $800 million. Damn. This was, as Michael likes to call it, and we will dig into it, the most expensive rehire in history. I'm going to say the same thing to Gary Vee in a couple of years, but that's a story for another time. (laughs) And since Michael originally tried to launch his company when he was an employee of Time, but was let go before he had the chance. After a meeting with Synapse after the acquisition to help it transfer to Time as a wholly owned subsidiary, Michael also helped his former business partner, Jay Walker, with the founding of a little travel site called Priceline.com. Maybe you guys have heard of it. And the two worked together previously, and it was just one of many businesses Michael would help to create in his lengthy career as a serial entrepreneur. Almost as lengthy as my introduction here. And today we're going to hopefully learn a lot more about Michael's philosophy and outlook on the industry in these strange times. I'm not using the word unprecedented. I'm trying to remove it from my vocabulary and a ton more. So let's get right to it. Michael Loeb, welcome to the podcast,
1: my man. Thank you, Adam. And by the way, for all you entrepreneurs out there with a good idea, send them over here. Yes. Uh, Because we do have a venture collective. Um, We got about two dozen companies in the collective. Uh, We are uh, self-financed. Uh, So our model is come up with an idea, either internally or externally. And by the way, we are not um, VCs. We are entrepreneurs, a collection of entrepreneurs. Uh, So we are founder friendly, actually super friendly. Um, Many of the people that are part of our orbit, uh, we have backed multiple times. And backing for us is a little bit different. As Adam mentioned, it's not just uh, the capital, but it's the capital, it's the infrastructure. It's um, the strategy and then the shared services. And indeed, Swiss Army Knife is something that I use to describe it. Everything from back office accounting uh, to UI, UX uh, to tech uh, to marketing, which ranges from old school. Uh, we have our own phone center in Virginia. We make our own TV ads for our healthcare companies. We built a field force of 3,000 people. Uh, all um, old school media to new school, which is SEM, SEO, social, podcast, influencer, you name it. So,
0: and and and, he, and, he, and this be is and this is the pitch. This is the pitch that I do. So full full disclosure to everybody here. I've been working with Loeb for the past year.
1: Is mine better than yours, or what? We're about to mine.
0: Mine is a little sharper, sir. I will tell you that. My, I've been doing it a lot, not as much as you, but I got I got it down pretty well. I got to work on it. Well, <laughs> all right. Let's. Let's let us jump in here. And, you know, we, we spoke a little bit about what's happening right now, but let's talk about the past because you weren't at this level of success for your entire life. Let's talk about the early days. Let's talk about real quick. You know, I, I know it was back in the days of black and white television. I'm kidding here. But back in those days, you know, when, when you started out in your career, where did it all begin, man?
1: Yeah. So I um, followed my dad into time, which was not unusual uh, Time Inc., even though it was a public company, was the type of place that, you know, a lot of sons and daughters would would join Time Inc. Uh, my dad was a journalist, I would say of some renown, but it was more than some. Uh, he was, uh, by turns, the managing editor of Fortune Magazine for about 10 years. Before that, he put Money Magazine on the map, and before that, he was an editor uh, at Time Magazine. He had almost a 40-year career there, and... Um, so I um, joined him. I wanted actually to work at HBO, which was at the time the rock star company. And um, you know, I interviewed again and again and again. They never would have me. And I thought, you know what? Let me let me go to Time Inc. And then I can move over. Um, turned out, I never moved over and um, climbed uh, the ladder pretty quickly. Um, ran marketing for Sports Illustrated. Uh, You're looking at the guy who um, uh, helped to invent the sneaker phone and the football phone. I was just going to get to that. Yep. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, And um, (laughs) helped to uh, launch uh, Sports Illustrated for kids. Had something to do uh, to turn the uh, swimsuit issue into the franchise uh, that it became. Uh, And um, so I got the reputation as uh, Launch Boy. If I was a little bit better, they would have called me Launch Man. Uh, but uh, they gave me the assignment to uh, launch Entertainment Weekly, and that was the job that got me fired. Um, they never volunteer, and that's especially true in a big company. You uh, were having a question.
0: Yeah, my, my first question is, do you have in your, in your archives and storage, do you have every Sports Illustrated phone ever created? Do you have one of each? I
1: have um, a sneaker phone, yeah. I got mm. it. Right These are hard-headed there. questions. Yeah, yeah, no, I can I can bring it over and show you a sneaker phone. But um uh, <laughs> it uh you know, Adam it was so, if talk about a crazy time for a million years AT&T did not let you have your own phone. You had to rent it from AT&T. And then um uh, then the Supreme Court said, "Uh uh uh, no, no. Uh consumers have a right to buy it." And all of a sudden, you know, people are buying telephones and they were all coming from China and they're all like super cheap. And we came up with these novelty phones and they were, you know, they were just crazy. I mean, flew off the shelf. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the sneaker yeah. phone and the football phone uh, were two of the greats. And um, yeah, and they were premium sports illustrated. So,
0: right. And what was it? It was you had to sign like a three, a multi year subscription to get the phone. There was, there was a hook uh, there. No,
1: it, it was no, you just had a subscription. It was three installments of nine ninety five. There we go. For, <laughs> so. Sports Illustrated. But, um, you know, the phones were so, I mean, we, we were like importing them for like three bucks. And they actually worked. It was crazy. Um, uh, there was a uh, Cambrian moment where manufacturing in China was just about nothing. And we took full advantage of that. So um, we created some great product. Uh, actually worked. And it was um, free with your Sports Illustrated subscription. Uh, if you, um, if you looked at one of the ads, it was all about the, you know, it was all about the sneaker phone or the football phone or the blooper video. And it's like, Oh, you know, that's free. And Oh, by the way, with a, with a paid subscription to sports, Illustrated. you get the magazine, so we,
0: but people uh, love freemiums. I mean, still to this day, people love freemiums. People love getting something as an added value. Maybe it's a collectible. It's something unique, but it still works. I mean, that's, that's a tried and true technique. And that's something I truly admire about. Well, you and Loeb itself, how you combined this old school foundational tried and true business the way I grew up. I grew up with a rotary phone. I grew up with HBO with the box on the TV. My VCR had a wire to it. I'm not that I'm not that young. Um, but you combine that with this really incredible forward thinking entrepreneurial spirit that you put into every one of the startups. And that's something that I truly admire, Michael.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. I. Um We'll talk um, a little bit about the venture collective, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the fun things about my job, there's so many fun things about my job. And, uh, but one of the fun things is that, you know, I get to stay current. Right. And um, a lot of guys, you know, my age um, and in my situation, you know, just have, you know, they're growing tomatoes and um, I just have no interest in that. And I just find that, every day I learn something brand new and um, hear about a company. You know, what What? What? stuns me is all of a sudden I'll hear about a company and I'll find out that, you know, they've raised a billion dollars and they got a valuation of four, right? And it's like, how could that be? How could I have never heard of this company? And, um, you know, the other thing, Adam, is what's old is new again. I mean, there was a clutch of home delivery companies in 2000 and they all went out yeah. of business right? Every single one. And now, you know, we've got the um, reincarnation of that. And it's very, That's very incredible. important. But, uh, I, uh, So I love my job. I love um, thinking of new ideas. I love working with people half my age um, and twice as smart as me. And um, I love, you know, kind of the energy and how things are, you know, totally shifting and moving. And I'm sure we'll get to that too, because it is yeah, a whole new world out there.
0: Yeah. So let's hit the rewind button for a moment and and go to Time Inc. at the time that you you got let go. And I didn't know it was at 36, and and this is your show, not mine today, but I got let go at 36 too. And I needed that moment in my life to have that moment of accountability and self-awareness where I said, what am I doing? I'm not happy. I need to pivot. I need to follow my true passion and do what I do best. And that pointed me into the world of recruiting. Let's take it back to Michael Loeb at age 36 getting let go from Time Inc.
1: I'm, um, you know, and I just assumed that I would be a timing forever. I do know that whenever you do new things in a fortune 500 company, it is, you know, it's a risk because if it doesn't go quite to plan and new stuff does not go quite to plan um, and they got to blame somebody because upper management is never going to take responsibility. So uh, I and the managing editor were shown the door uh in truth uh there was a a flaw um in entertainment weekly uh in the very beginning which was my um you know concept of entertainment weekly was the three big sports right uh sorry i moving from the three big sports which is what i had sports illustrated to the three big forms of entertainment so um and, um, it would be that simple. It was a fans magazine. It wasn't people magazine. It wasn't, you know, 300 word articles. It was 3000 word, word articles. And if it was about, gee, I don't know, Gal Gadot, because, uh, we have uh, wonder woman 1984 coming out and that would be cover subject. It would, uh, you know, trace her from her roots in Israel becoming, you know, the beauty queen of Israel and blah, 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 blah. And she was about to give up acting before, you know, she scored uh, wonder woman, uh, rest is history. But the, um, it would have approached it that way. Lots of pictures, just like a Sports Illustrated article about an athlete, right? So, um, but uh, that was my idea. The editor thought it was more about uh, ballet and books and poetry. Mm. Um, That's that's fine, except the last name was weekly and unless you get to a million in circulation and um, some people on the podcast, not all will remember the magazine industry, some fondly, right? Because it's almost not here anymore. But uh, unless you got over a million uh, in circulation, you wouldn't get on a weekly magazine from Time Inc. Other people could do it cheaper. You're not gonna get over the fixed variable divide. You're not gonna make any money. So, And you're not gonna do that if it's about you know poetry and opera and ballet. It's not gonna be about the feed thing. It's gotta be the ball down the middle of the lane. And your next question is, well, who's in charge? And at Time Inc., in, and also in many um companies of its ilk at the time uh the fact of the matter is the editor had you know the domain of the editor was the editorial product and the business types had uh about nothing to say um and my analogy and i got one right here is a can of coke and uh coke this is product placement we're getting money for this right
0: hopefully yeah coke if you need a new podcast to sponsor
1: there we go. Uh, but, uh, you know, the product manager, you know, at Coke has everything to do with the can out, nothing to do with the can in. Right. And uh, it's like that or used to be like that with magazines. Uh, and in fact, every editor was appalled to see what was going on in the Internet, because that divide between advertising, you know, and promotion and, you know, and the words uh, were being you know, that divide was being blurred, right? And there was some sanctity at one time about those two things, no longer, that's gone. But um, anyway, uh, so yeah, we were both shown the door and I was 36 at the time and I was working on an idea inside of Time, Inc. And um, Mm -hmm. when I was given my liberation papers, (laughs) I what the hell? Uh, Let me try that. And uh, the idea, and it sounds very quaint now, but at the time, magazines and newspapers, uh, you'd buy one, and then they would send you renewal notices, and either you renewed or didn't, and then you were billed. Um, It was always weird to me. Um, To me, I would divide the world into products and services, and services would automatically recur, and products did not, right? Products were one and done, and um, services would, you know, like water and electricity, just- Utilities. Utilities would just and also your American Express card. They don't ask you to renew. They just say, you know, it we're billing billion. you thirty-five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just bill you. So um, we brought that to the magazine industry, right? We brought the tech and we brought the concept, and it was more than a SaaS platform. It was kind of a cradle to grave thing. So we'd sell the subscription and maintain it um, full life cycle. A, life cycle and it was at the time uh much more of a lift than you would think because there were hundreds of magazine fulfillment centers you know with spaghetti code right there's no such super thing manual as a- super manual stuff so we had to, you know we had to create you call them plugins now or SDKs now or apis now and uh but again that just didn't exist right so we had to like beat our port open to them and um, be able to do what, um, do what we did. But anyway,
0: so two quick questions going back to, to getting let go from time, from, from timing. Did you feel that you were disappointing your father when you got let go?
1: I felt good question. I forgot that, um, in your CV is therapist also. So, um, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, he was, um, he was enraged actually. He was very upset. um, because he was frankly iconic within time, even though time at the time had about 8,000 employees, he was like from an editorial perspective, one of the, one of the guys and they didn't tell him, you know, and he thought that, you know, they would give him a phone call and say, Hey, give him a heads up. It was a surprise to him. And he was, he was like, he just thought it was very ingracious and very inappropriate. And, um, but, uh, so it affected him more than me. Um, I did say, well, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this on my own. And if it doesn't work, then we'll go to plan B. <clears throat> I guess plan A was continuing at, at time, Inc. So plan C, but, um, yeah, so I tried it and it actually, um, it actually worked.
0: It worked out pretty well looking, looking back on it. And you met Jay Walker during your time at Inc., correct?
1: I, uh, Jay, I met Jay super early in that, in that journey, Uh, Jay persuaded me that I was just this dopey guy who got fired from a Fortune 500 company, and he was a serial entrepreneur, and he had that entrepreneur swagger and everything else, all the trappings. Um, If you didn't know any better, you thought he was worth a zillion dollars. I found out later that that was quite far from the truth. Uh, And uh, But yeah, we decided to throw our lot in together. I did learn um, fairly early in the curve that Jay had many, many profound gifts, uh, but um, he was not particularly enamored with uh, managing people or you know logistics.
0: and that was um, your balance.
1: And, well, that was our balance and again he's he's, he's uh, a profoundly uh, some people call him a genius. I think that's um, not far from being being right. Um, He probably is a genius. I think he is a genius. Uh, He certainly has an unbelievable capacity to research and work and think. Um, And we had this, you know, Cambrian moment that lasted about five years. And out of that grew both Synapse and Priceline. um, Because Jay's job uh, after the early going of Synapse uh, became think of the next thing we do together. And um, out of that, out of that grew uh, Priceline.
0: And what, was there like that, um, I always love to ask this question, especially about such an insanely successful company like Priceline, was, was it a development over time or was it that moment over a glass of wine where you're like, hey, let's start this thing called Priceline. I have an idea, this is what it might look like. How did that happen?
1: Yeah, no, uh, it was uh, lightning in a bottle, Jay's idea, and it was like a thunderbolt. Um, I had a different way of describing it than he did. I thought of it as the disintermediation of travel. And it used to be Adam that you had to have a travel agent, just like in stocks, you had to have a broker, broker, right? right? And the brokers took a big vig in the middle. You had to have, you know, in travel, you had to have, you know, you had to have a travel agent and they took 6% in the middle. And this was essentially self-serve travel was the concept
0: breakthrough uh, at the time
1: it was, it was, it was one of the very, 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 very first. Mm-hmm. In fact, we didn't, Before Expedia,
0: add, right. Yeah. Right. It was pre Expedia.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. They, it, it was way out in front. Um, this was, we're talking about 95. We didn't even use the word internet, right? The word internet didn't really, that was not part of the lexicon. It was WWW something or other. Right. And, um, in fact, um, uh, after Jay conceived the Priceline, it was Synapse that was financing because Synapse, we did it the old fashioned way, no outside capital. And it was like a you know shot out of a cannon, uh, made money almost immediately. And it was the, uh, you know, it was the profits of Synapse that was funding Priceline. And the reason why I go into some detail, that was the experiment that informed our venture collective, right? So essentially what we had was one roof over our head, one workforce. And I would say, you know, Adam or Rich Vogel, you know, you're gonna work the morning for Synapse, the afternoon for Priceline and the evening, you're back at Synapse or vice versa. And um, we did not know uh, if this, um, you know, if people would spit the bit or they would embrace it. And it turns out that they embrace it because you get really, really brilliant You know, diligent um, people, um, they, uh, you know, no matter how challenging the job and no matter, you know, what rate of hypergrowth you're in, the fact of the matter is after a year, it gets a little bit routine. So they welcomed something else. And uh, very facile, very agile minds can work that way. And so that experiment of having, you know, Synapse incubate Priceline and um we financed it uh for a couple of years and right up to the public offering because uh the last shot was bringing in a venture capital firm but there was no internet business so if we say hey venture capital firm write a check into Priceline," they you know it's ww whatever what is it there was no industry there was nothing right and so What we wound up doing for the first time ever was getting outside capital into Synapse and essentially um, uh, Synapse didn't need it. We're throwing off cash. So it was essentially a private equity, not a venture. It was a private equity play with General Atlantic Partners. And um, the money uh, came off the table to Jay, the finance Priceline. So he sold half of his half. Uh, And that was the second shot of price language, got him right to the public offering. And at that point, we we kind of, um, you know, at that point, when it gets really serious, you do have to like, you know, untether yourself just because outside capital doesn't want to know that, um, you know, you have any dependency with like a shared service.
0: I, 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 love, I love finding out the kernels of and the origin stories. That's incredible. Um, and one of the things that, that I really love about your current portfolio now it really helps focus on some low income consumers with businesses like Script Relief and Steady, to name a few. When and why did that become a priority and a focus for you?
1: Well, you know, I I, I wished I could claim to be so noble. Um, it um, it didn't. It just did not. Um, happened quite that way i mean it's great that it did and a great that it helped people i do think that you know take takes relief we have saved people billions of dollars on their you know pharmaceuticals uh but um and steady is doing the other company to which you refer uh which is i call it your advocate in the gig economy so if you're a uber driver uh uber would have you work and you know uh in a car from morning noon and night the fact of the matter is at um, 11 and two, the utilization rate is about, um, 30%. So there's 70% of the cars on the road that shouldn't be on the road. Right. Exactly. So you are not making money, you know, uh, at that time because you're trolling around in your car and using gas and gas Mm -hmm. and you know, amortizing miles, blah, 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 blah. But, um, so what steady will do is say, Adam, here's your plan you're going to be uh, in your Uber from seven to nine 30 at nine 30. I, this is the corner you go to your walking dogs. And at 12, I got you working at home Depot until three and from three to five at StoreDash, and at five o'clock um, left because they pay better. Right. So that's, what it does. and now it will, you know, we do these studies all the time, but the latest number is that we increase income for gig workers by an average of 5,500 an average. $5,580 a year. So, I mean, this is this is a real, you know, game changer.
0: And especially right now, especially right now when so many people are out of work and they're turning to the gig economy and you have new people signing up to be, you know, DoorDash drivers, you know, Uber, Lyft, and all these things in the gig. Maybe work part-time, seasonable at Home Depot in, in, in the evening to stock. If you're helping them find the efficiencies because they don't have access to this information and technology, this is incredible.
1: So those... Yes, they, they really are helping people, and I'm delighted that they are helping people. I love mission based companies. I wouldn't, I, I do have a prohibition on bad stuff, right? I wouldn't do anything that's bad for people. Um, it's great that it's good for people, but really the attraction of both those companies is that it was, you know, big and disruptive and novel, and nobody was doing it. And um, really that was the opportunity. We like, platforms more than we like products, although we do have several products.
0: Yeah. And let's let's get into into Rich Vogel, someone that I'm I'm close with there and, and your business partner. Uh, and you guys, congratulations, were are named Visionaries of the Year by CSQ. Uh, and in the write-up they did for you guys, they talked about being a people, you guys being a people first investor. Can you explain what that means being a people first investor and what you look for? In people that you invest in as operators? Is it a, is it a you, you invest in the jockey before the horse,
1: over the horse? Absolutely. I do think, by the way, that entrepreneurs are born and not made. And what's an entrepreneur? It's the guy who, um, or gal, who, um, you know, they think stop signs are for everybody else, right? They think gravity does not apply to them um they look at just about anything and they say you know i'm going to flip it upside down and make it better i mean they just automatically right most i think you know 99.9 percent of everybody is just taking the status quo and when presented with the status quo the presumption is you know this is the bestest for the leastest we can't improve upon that and an entrepreneur looks at everything and says this is whacked i can i can make it better right and you know, about the status quo, you know, they love that road less traveled, right? Because if nobody is doing it, right? If everybody's saying can't be done, that's a giant opportunity because that scares away everybody. So I think uh, entrepreneurs have that. There really is, you know, the lemonade stand phenomenon, right? These are people who at a very early age like the idea of creating businesses. They like money. They like getting money in. Uh, it's more of a placeholder that happens to be true, but just the idea that you know I could, I could get a dime worth of you know lemons and turn it into a dollar worth of lemonade, and I'll sell out and I'll make ten bucks, and I'm eight, is uh, really is it, it's really a truism, uh, and so um, we are jockey guys, and what I think differentiates us as operators. And I don't mean to cast assertions with uh, venture capitalists. We work with many of them um, because after we spin a company up and kind of scale it, uh, we often not always go for outside capital, but then it's 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 not a three and a five. It's a 30 and a 50, right? These are companies that are much bigger. But um, what VCs don't tell you is there's always – when you start a business is there's three existential events, right? You don't know what they are. It's like, you know, extinction events, right? There's been five or six in the history of the planet. There's three in every, in every company. And you will wake up in the morning, open the door, and somebody's going to punch you in the face, right? And you're going to get bloody and you're going to fall down. And it's about getting back up, right? Something you're going to lose a big client. There's going to be a law that's changed. There's going to be competition. Something is going to happen, and you're going to get you're going to get bloody. Um, and VCs they talk about love them, right? But they talk about up and to the right. They just look for that smooth line up and to the right. And the fact of the matter is, there's a down vector, right? And there's not one, not two, but there's three down vectors. And, um, you know, the VC model is, you know, Hey, Adam, you're bright. You're 27. You got a good idea. Here's 5 million bucks. Go spend it. And if the jockey comes back and says, Hey, Adam, I got to tell you, I put a million dollars to work. I had this all wrong. This dog ain't going to hunt. I mean, maybe, maybe the dog can limp to first base, but that's not what I want. And they say, you know, you idiot, go back out there and spend all the money. And, um, we don't operate that way. For one thing, we don't give people—you know—we we pay bills. We don't p- give people a bucket of money. We just pay bills, and every month is kind of a decision and a redecision. But we play long ball and like long, long ball, like the type of ball that you know a VC would not do because they they frankly give up. You'd miss, you go through the money, you miss your KPIs, and you're done. Uh, and what we do is you know, we look at the business opportunity and we look at the team and um, we see, you know, their resolve. And, you know, we check again our assumptions and we talk about ourselves as being theory-based, like what's the theory? And if the theory holds true and it's not working, it's an executional problem. So pivot on the execution. And um, that's kind of our view to the world. Now, it is so interesting, uh, Adam, about people. And I will and, and and you see all sorts of points of failure. A lot of times the points of failure are the entrepreneur is not the entrepreneur that you thought they were. They were not as advertised. And again, about half of our 24 companies started with de novo, internally generated ideas, but uh, the other half are either external ideas or external companies that are small that we can be you know if not the only about the only source of capital and we give them the big embrace with shared services and we knock ourselves out to you know build those companies because what we're leaning into is the high rate of failure um in um you know in the industry in the startup they say that VCs will talk about you know two and ten working but if you give them a drink they'll say more like one in ten. And we're leaning in on that. Um and we think with our model we're you know we're we're multiples above that. Right, exactly. Um, and um you know because of the support because of our definition of success if you are five out of ten or six out of ten You don't need a 30X or a 50X. You can have a 3X or a 5X. And there's a lot of 3Xs and 5Xs that, uh, you know, the money behind them will say that's not good enough. You know, drive faster. And sometimes you'll run into a wall and you'll die. Anyway, I spoke a lot.
0: No, I love it. When was the last time you got punched in the face?
1: Oh, you get punched in the face all the time. Um, I was going to tell you about one entrepreneur... Um, that we had. Uh, We were high on this business and um, thought it had legs. Um, It always, when you're starting something, Adam, takes twice as long, right? And costs twice as much. Actually, if it was only twice, you'd be very happy. It's more like five times as much. And, um, you know, entrepreneurs are optimists and they always miss that, right? They always think that it's faster and cheaper um and uh so we had a couple of guys good idea we really liked it and uh, we really thought it was synergistic with some of the other things we were doing and um, we liked them and uh, it was taking longer and um you know as advertised they said that they had a beat on the tech and the tech and the fact is they didn't they were wrong uh that uh what they had built um that that was really not functioning, not for what the needs were. And, um, you know, then all of a sudden, uh, they come back and they say, Michael, you know, to get this to a place where we can have a raise is going to take seven more million dollars. Right. And we had already put in like half that number and it's going to take 7 million more. And, um, you know by the way uh that um is not a number that scares us but it was a number that came out of nowhere so it gave me pause right and said, okay let's unpack this what do you need and they said well we need you know three more engineers we need four more of this and blah blah, blah. and i'm doing the math in my head i'm saying guys that's two and a half to three million that's not seven million yeah. where's the delta? And Where's the Delta? And But the other side of the message is, look, um, it's gonna be 7 million. And if 7 million more come into the company, then uh, the two of us, the founders are gonna be diluted uh, to a point where it's not worth us working on it. And I said, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, you had an obligation, not only to me, but the other, there was some other outside capital that was in. You have an obligation to know enough about yourself that you're going to go the distance, right? And one of them had the temerity to say, well you know before I decided to start this business uh, and he was making you know 150 as the CEO, uh, he was saying, you know you know what my you know what um, my paycheck was uh, the year that I decided to start this business, do you know what my K1 was? And um, I said, I don't care. And he said it was $600,000. So I went from 600000 to one fifty. And I said, dude, I, I'm just going to sell your company because I can't if that's where you are on this, right? If that's where you are on this, then, um, you know, this is not going to be successful because what you're saying is you thought, you know, this wouldn't take a lot of time and I'd be, I'd be in the green, you know, really quickly and making my own income and then have a hundred million dollar exit. And, um, basically, <laughs> you know, I had to have a distressed sale and I took a total bath on it, but, um, it it's, my point is that, um, well, you get this all the time, but a lot of people think they're entrepreneurs or like to think they're entrepreneurs. But the fact of the matter is, being an entrepreneur is littered with bodies and failure and blood and sweat and, and um, you know, not everybody, it's not for everybody. In fact, it's not for most people. And um, imagine if the model really is two out of 10, right? Imagine if you need 10 You're shots right? in goal. I mean, um, again, we think we're better, but it's, it's really, you know, it sounds glamorous on the outside looking in. Then we look right. at these numbers from Slack and we look at, you know, some of these companies, you know, that, um, you know. Those are family, anomalies almost. Those are definitely anomalies. Yeah. And um, But uh, you, e- you either have to be mentally equipped and ready to go to war, to go to battle and do it for a long time um, or not, right? Then um, just, uh, you know, work for, you know, IBM and uh, go get that paycheck.
0: Yeah, I mean the 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 big shift for me. I mean I'm three years into my entrepreneurship journey, so a couple of key points here. I think that entrepreneurship quality is also laid dormant because I look back on when I was 21, 22, hustling my ass off. You know, a couple of odd jobs here and there, the things I did to make money. If I didn't have those 17 years of experience before launching my own business, I don't think I could ever be at this point. And another key point that kind of gave an aha moment. I had a shift about a year ago where I stopped thinking about. A paycheck and I thought more about cash flow. How do I keep my business moving and growing with cash flow? Where I have the cash flow to maintain my personal side, my business, and that delta there, that's going to be the income there. And I and I had that mindset shift. That changed everything for me, Michael. How I thought about running a business. And for me, that 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 was that was a big aha moment.
1: Mm-hmm. So um yeah, jockeys. We're big jockey guys. And um Because uh, that, that, you know, again, they're rare, they're rare. The neat thing about being an entrepreneur, which is what gets me out of bed every morning is that, um, you know, it's, it's uh, just so fresh. It's you learn things every day. Um, You learn to cope with failure. And in fact, we don't like to use the F word I have an Edisonian point of view and he said I never failed I just found out or I just learned 10,000 ways how not to make a light bulb so right it's a good one yeah. um, you have to um you know uh there's another one which is uh from Sir Isaac Newton which is if I see further it's because I stand on the shoulders of giants which just means that everything is a collaboration everything okay. is building on top of the last thing and um we all have to appreciate that and honor that. But, uh, the fact is that it's, you know, it's very iterative and you got to be agile and you've got to have a point of view, but you got to read the tea leaves too. And you got to be able to pivot, you know, left and right, uh, pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. And so you spoke about what gets you up in the morning, but what keeps you up at night, Michael?
1: Oh, uh, the same thing. Um, getting, um, you know, getting to work on all that stuff and seeing, Um, what all those companies are doing and figuring out how I can help them.
0: Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.